1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: 20-yard attempt from the middle of the field to send the Bengals into the postseason. Kevin Huber is ready. Catches the snap. Puts it down. The kick is on its way. Yeah. It's good. The Cincinnati Bengals clinch yeah. the AFC
3: North and prove they can beat anybody. You know, just... Roy really Proud.
1: Sometimes that's all you have to say if you're Zach Taylor, coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. They lock up the AFC North yesterday with a thrilling victory over the Chiefs, ending their eight-game winning streak. Mike Golick joining us from an undisclosed location somewhere in Green Bay after calling last <coughs> night's game and presumably thawing out at least 75 to 80% of the way. Happy New Year, Mike. Welcome back. And we get to talk two more hours of football.
2: Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well, Mike. And yeah, as Cole, I I, I realized that I'd much rather be on the field playing than in the stands watching. Fans that that sit out in that that temperature, and it was single digits when the game started, are crazy. And then the ones who wear no shirts, well, we understand why they're crazy. But it, uh, I would much rather be on the field. And it was, you know, with Kirk. We'll get to it when Kirk Cousins out. It just Minnesota really had had no chance. But what a what a great the the best thing about that sound bite, which didn't have a lot of sound from Zach Taylor, was the silence when he couldn't speak and the the celebrating you heard in the background of the team in the locker room. That was great. I mean, what what a moment for them. What a moment for the city of uh, of Cincinnati, for the fans of the Bengals uh, to, to reach the top of this division going worst to first and proving, yeah, okay, we can play with the big boys in the league right now.
1: And an incredibly difficult division, top-to-bottom playoff contenders, and it required beating the Kansas City Chiefs to nail it down. They still could have not won the division at all. One of the other teams still could have taken it. It required a playoff-caliber effort from Joe Burrow and company to get there. And to put Zach Taylor's emotion in perspective, Mike, it was the Monday after the end of the regular season last year, that the Bengals, in the face of rampant rumors that Taylor was going to be fired after only two seasons as the head coach, they had to issue a statement. And I can't remember another time where this happened, where a statement came from a team saying, we're not firing our coach. And they didn't, obviously. And it's worked. And, you know, at the start of the season, it felt like they were going to slip into dysfunction again. We're so used to it from the Bengals. There were questions about Joe Burrow's knee. Was he mentally ready to go out there and plant that left leg in the pocket. You know, Carson Palmer went through that 15 years ago after he tore his ACL. And Burrow has never seemed like a guy who's recovering from a torn ACL. He's gotten better and better. Jamar Chase, if you don't double cover him all the time, Kansas City Chiefs, he will destroy you. That's a lesson to anyone that faces the Bengals from now until the day Jamar Chase retires. You've got to double cover him all the time. Or he's going to do to you what he did yesterday. I can't believe the Chiefs never pivoted away from their, uh, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just put one guy on him strategy.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, Tarverius Ward is going to have a lot of nightmares about this game and just getting beat, you know, straight down the sideline. Good coverage sometimes, but, you know, I'll take, you know, Jamar Chase in these one on one situations, even T. Higgins at time as well. You know, those are the plays down the sidelines. Then you see that play where it's a short route and he does the rest just running away from everybody. Listen, we can go over the stats of what Burrow did and what Jamar Chase did and what the future of this team. But what I love most about this team, and this is a team I covered on the Thursday against Jacksonville when early in the season, when they were down 14 nothing at halftime and getting booed off the field at home in Cincinnati because the fans were like, here we go again. We show a little bit of promise, and then we look horrible. Well, they ended up winning that game and winning and putting themselves in good position, but the question was always going to be, okay, can you win consistently, and then can you beat one of the top contenders? Well, now they prove that after this win, and I still love the attitude of Joe Burrow. Those, those fans in Cincinnati, they have lived through agonizing years, and Joe Burrow has, has, has doubled down on it, uh, by saying, hey, we don't care. You know, we expect to win these games. We don't care what the past was. These guys weren't born when a lot of it was happening way back when. We're going to make a new history here in Cincinnati, and they have the young guns that can do it. So they they while they flinched a little bit, they have not flinched enough to now win the division and go take the next step in becoming a winning team, and that's do it consistently. Don't do it every now and then. And then you know look bad and have everybody say ah well there's the old bungles again you know they're going to screw it up they just can't get out of their own way this team has the attitude that we're not the past team we understand it wasn't great here but we're kind of the new right now and man you see it with the young players they have nothing more they can do but really just continue to build up
1: no connection whatsoever to the ugly history in cincinnati dating back 30-plus years since they even won a postseason game. That narrative would hover over the Marvin Lewis Bengals every year they got to the playoffs, 2011 through 2015. Remember, it was every year, and the pressure was on them. It was 2015 when they had the game won, and it all kind of disintegrated on a rainy night in Cincinnati against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But that's all gone. Now, there's only one guy who was even on the team other than – punter and long snapper. C.J. Uzama, the only guy that was on one of those Bengals teams. Everything's new since then. These guys don't care about it. Joe Burrow's attitude, absolutely right on the money. Those are all things from the past. We have a new standard here. Swept the Steelers, swept the Ravens, beat the Chiefs at home when the Chiefs were riding an eight-game winning streak. That is significant. And also, Mike, from a consistency standpoint, as they get closer to the postseason, what they did yesterday was very significant because they had been in this weird cycle of two wins, two losses, two wins, two losses, two wins. So under that pattern, it was time to lose. A very high-level analytics-driven pattern. It was time to lose. <laughs> and and no, no, now it's not the time to lose. Now is the time to win. Burrow told me last week, for a team that has very limited playoff experience, they're getting the playoff experience in these regular season games that have significant meaning. How much confidence did they derive For whatever they face in the postseason, by beating the Chiefs, the hottest team in the NFL, they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs, fell behind, came back, won the game. That propels them into whatever may come when it's time to figure out the draw in the wild card round and beyond. Yeah,
2: you know, you're down in that game. What, 20? You're down two touchdowns, too. It wasn't only, you know, the fact that they showed they could beat Kansas City, but you had to come back from two touchdowns against a team that had seemed to find their offense a lot more and were scoring more. So it just kind of, a lot of this is now reverting back to what we talked about in the beginning of the season. Then we've had such an up and down season, but it was to beat Kansas City, you had to score in the 30s. That, that's what you had to do. You had to outscore them because they could score a lot, and that's exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals were able to do. Uh, the, listen, the the ending was certainly a little different to me. I mean, I I was I think I was stunned a lot. You know, and Twitter, you get the instant results there. Of, why don't they kick? And obviously, they're not kicking because they don't want to give Mahomes the ball back. But boy, what a couple of breaks they got when it was third down and one. Their left guard moved. I mean, they got they got an absolute gift there. It should have been third and six on the goal line, but it was third and one. They didn't call it goes to fourth and one. You know, they get the offsetting penalties, then they get the the holding call in the end zone, and you know they kept doubling down. You know, saying they're they're going to go for it because they didn't want to give the ball back uh, to Patrick Mahomes. It was and and on the Chiefs side, they were pretty livid about. You know, they ended up with ten penalties in this game. Pretty livid about everything. But uh, that, that was a very, very interesting ending to a game that, that turned out to be such an incredible game for Cincinnati to come back from two scores down for to a very, very wild ending on the goal line.
1: But, you know, it is important, and this is one of the factors that you have to include in the analysis of whether to go for it or kick a field goal. How much time is left? Who is the opposing quarterback? when you give the ball back to the other team. And a point Michael David Smith of PFT made last night, and it it bears repeating. One of the realities of going forward on fourth down, if you're going to throw the ball, there's a chance you're going to draw a five-yard penalty and an automatic first down. Now, Obviously, in that setting, it's not five yards, but the automatic first down is what matters. Late in a game like that, to have the ability to then milk it down to no time on the clock, even shorter than the old school extra point when they snapped from the two, that's the walk-off win that you want where you don't have to worry about Patrick Mahomes doing anything. You're always better off if Mahomes is on the sidelines and the Bengals played that to perfection. And they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be a factor. You know, I've said all along, I want teams in the playoffs that are going to be capable of winning in the playoffs. And the Bengals proved yesterday, yeah, we've seen from time to time they're capable of a clunker, but they're capable of beating anyone with that young talent that they have. They're capable of beating anyone in the AFC. They could get to the Super Bowl. They have to be taken seriously. As weird as that may sound, and this franchise has been to the Super Bowl twice before, so it's not some alien concept like the Browns making it, but but the Bengals have to be taken seriously, Mike. No, they do. And, and I think you know
2: they, they have a, a, obviously a pretty solid running game Uh, with Mixon, though they passed a lot more than they ran yesterday. But the passing game, again, between Higgins and Chase is is incredible. What gives you an advantage is the fact that when anything breaks down or if anything happens, Joe Burrow knows I'm going to throw the ball high in the air down the sideline if I get in trouble. A regular play, he was just doing that. But I am always going to a 50-50 ball in their mind is a 70-30 ball because they had Jamar Chase who can get it. Even T. Higgins, who goes up and, again, as I talked about, uses his hands ex- extremely well to catch a ball. But that is a big-time advantage when you can win most of those 50-50 battles or draw the flag, which they, they can do as well. So that, that's what can make you dangerous, that you always have the ability to get a big play by reception down the field or by penalty in a spot foul down the field as well, which could put you in better position. So that is a monster advantage not many teams have.
1: Between Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, an incredible three-deep array of receivers to go along with Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon, young stars. And we, we played the clip earlier. If we can cue it up again of the touchdown from Jamar Chase – The catch and the run and I want to call for a freeze frame as we're doing it because there was a moment there that uh, this is nothing you can coach this is nothing that you can it just it's man among boys stuff and let's watch it here Jamar Chase gets the short pass and then he starts ahead to daylight now get ready to freeze it freeze it right there or not there's seven guys back about 20 yards there were seven guys that i I wouldn't say all of them had a shot to do it but there's a spot where they're surrounding jamar chase and he does the old larry fitzgerald in super bowl 43 and and just explodes yeah we're getting there a little bit more a little bit more a little just a touch more back near the 50 there there's these are professional athletes these are guys who have deserved roster spots and starting jobs at the highest level of football. And when Jamar Chase slips through that crack, he is gone. And that's not an indictment of the guys in the white jerseys. That's praise of how special the talent is. Once you get the ball in his hands, and I know it's been an issue this year getting the ball in his hands sometimes, it's unbelievable. Uh, We haven't seen a guy that explosive since Randy Moss, Mike. Oh, I, I completely agree.
2: A guy that, that's able to win those those 70-30 balls. I'm gonna call them with Cincinnati. But that play, you know, sometimes what it comes down to. So on the defensive side, you know, it's called a pursuit angle, you know, to, to cut off a guy's angle so he just can't straight line speed you and and beat you. But that's what Chase did, where he ended up making one move. It's like you make that one move, you have vision like a like a billiards table. You're not looking at the ball you're shooting at, but you're looking at the next shot. You know, it's not you're not necessarily, I've heard running backs talk about this. I'm not looking at the guy that's about to tackle me. I'm looking beyond him because I'm going to make that guy miss and know where I'm going next. Well, you see the move by Chase. And then it was all straight ahead running. There were no more pursuit angles to even hit. Then it comes down to then that's when you take into consideration what a guy runs a 40 in, you know, at the combine, you know, how fast his straight ahead speed is, which still can be different in shorts and a t shirt as opposed there are some guys that aren't that fast in shorts and t shirts, but they play a lot faster on the field. That was just flat-out speed. You know, once you were going straight ahead, he made that move, and everybody was running straight. Pursuit angles were gone, and now it was just, okay, who's the fastest runner out there? And obviously it was Jamar Chase just running by everybody.
1: As they say every year at the Scouting Combine, that you only run 40 yards in a straight line in two situations in an NFL game, when something very good is happening or when something very bad is happening. (laughs) It was very good for Jamar Chase. It was very bad for the Bengals, here's or for the Chiefs, excuse me. Here is Joe Burrow after the game on his former LSU teammate, who is now making waves in the NFL, Jamar Chase.
0: If you're gonna play him one on one, you know a lot of times it's gonna be a long day for you. And you know, he's a great player. He's gonna be a great player for for a long time. Great person too. He doesn't care if he gets 260 yards and and three touchdowns, or if he gets zero yards and everyone else you know makes all the all the yards. So. Great guy to have on your team. Everyone knows that mean. You know, F it. Jamar's down there somewhere. I'm going to just throw it up to him. He's going to make a play.
1: There's those 70-30 balls you were referring to, Mike. And Burrow told me a few weeks ago, after they started to put the clamps on Chase, what was happening was, starting with the win at Baltimore, they noticed that Chase was attracting more and more attention. So, fine. I'll go elsewhere with the ball. Well, or, or, you know, they had a couple of wins where they just ran the ball heavily. Th- th- this is a pick-your-poison offense. So if, if it was a day where the Chiefs decided they were going to focus on T. Higgins or they're going to try to neutralize Joe Mixon or they guessed that that's the game plan that they were going to see, they guessed wrong. And the problem is, and it's surprising, that Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo didn't adjust They didn't adjust to what was happening and they let it keep going. And the end result was 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns from chase. And that defense
2: had been playing much better. We were starting to see the Kansas city chiefs of old, Uh, but you know, this was, they, they, you're right. They just got burned. Like I said, Javarius Ward just is, is going to have some sleepless nights just reliving some of those saying at times I was right there, but, you know, the player was just better in Jamar Chase or T Higgins going over the top and catching the ball. So, and and rarely do you have a team that can go all the way and win the Super Bowl without multiple, you know, stars. And that's what Cincinnati has now. They have legitimate multiple stars. And as long as they work the money right and you know stay injury free, which are two things obviously at times you want to cross your fingers on. Um, They're going to do that into the foreseeable future. As I said, where they are now, man, they can can only build. This is where you have to cap right going down the next four, five, six, seven years. Make sure you're in position to take care of everybody. And injury you can't do anything about. But they're, they're on that road now. And boy, oh boy, it's getting pretty common in the short career of Joe Burrow. And when I mean short career, I even mean of stardom in college because it was one year. And now just a couple of years in the NFL. We've already seen him smoke a couple cigars. You know, he, he loves that sight. He loves them cigars. And we all remember the picture, you know, from LSU when they won the national championship of him smoking a stogie. And here he is again, you know, winning the division in the pros smoking a stogie. I mean, we, we, you know, his friends know what to get him for, for presents. That's for sure. Because the way he's going, he's going to need a box of them.
1: Yeah, he's going to be burning through him on a regular basis. And the good news for Bengals fans, seeing him dancing in the locker room, although I'm not quite sure that that would widely be regarded as dancing. <laughs> Reasonable minds may differ. But but he left the game before that game-winning field goal. He was limping around, twisted his right knee. That's not the knee that was destroyed last year and required the full reconstruction. He he actually said that he first injured the right knee four weeks ago against the Chargers and he aggravated a little bit. Now I don't think a right knee injury ever showed up on the injury report, but joined the club. A lot of those a lot of those things get hit and you see him come down on it and twist it a little bit and he's holding it. He says it's good enough. He says he could have gone back in the game, but you know, let, let's let's see how the week unfolds. That would be very unfortunate if he ends up with some sort of an injury that hampers him down the stretch. But hopefully he is fine. Hopefully the dancing or whatever that was in the locker room is proof <laughs> that he's good to go because uh, they, they, they definitely need him. I got a question for you as a former defensive player, though. I Look, it, it's, it's great to have this offense and the array of weapons, but we've seen it time and again. To get that championship, and I'm not ready to say defense wins championships, although the Buccaneers last year it was their defense that rose up. We've seen it in Super Bowls where a great defensive performance will neutralize a great offense, and that's it. Is there someone on that Bengals defense that we, we can point to confidently and they say they can count on this guy or this guy or this guy to make a huge play with a playoff game on the line? That that's what I'm curious about. No concerns about the offense. Is the defense going to rise up if and when it has to, and make a play, make a stop, force a turnover, do something to make a difference in a single elimination setting? I don't know. Well, I mean, listen,
2: you you look at you look at uh, Trey Hendrickson, right? You know, he's the guy. What what has 14 sacks? So, you know, when I was in Philly, we had a number of guys. You had Reggie White, you had Clyde Simmons, you had Jerome Brown, where you could say. We need a big play. Someone to get to the quarterback, and you had those guys. Well, you have him. You know, so you do look to your big-time players making big-time plays. They win They have they have over forty sacks. He obviously uh, has the most on the team, so they can get to the quarterback. So that that is something that that is a positive for them. And you also have to understand now they played a Kansas City team that can score points. Now that they're doing that again, how many points did Kansas City have in the second half? They had three, right? They had 28 in the first half and they had three in the second half. So, you know, you make some adjustments or you start to just flat out play a little better and things got better for them. That's pretty impressive to hold Kansas City to three points and a half. That that was more like the Kansas City offense earlier in the season, but they did it now when they were playing hot. So, I would say Trey would be that guy, Mike, that, that if you need that big pass rush, you want to count on a guy like that, that if he doesn't get the sack, that you hopefully he's going to get pressure on the quarterback.
1: Well, then the challenge for the opposing offense is going to be come up away with ways to double him keep him from wrecking the game and, and take your chances with the other guys out there. But Hendrickson has been good. One of the rare free agent acquisitions where we see the immediate payoff. There was some risk there because he had the career year with the saints last year. They paid him the big money and they've gotten the reward. You mentioned earlier the penalties that were called against the chiefs. Let's have a listen to Andy Reed, the Kansas city head coach mm-hmm. regarding his thoughts on the penalties or more accurately, the thoughts that he ultimately decided to keep to himself.
3: There were, there were way too many penalties, nine penalties, um, including a touchdown on a kickoff return, fourth down play, uh, where our defense did a nice job of stopping them on the one-foot line. Um, you know, I've, I'd like to comment on each one, but um, I don't want to be
2: be fined.
1: Hey, I, I don't blame him. You don't want to cut into that cheeseburger budget. I mean, he's got the money to pay the fines, but if it if it comes straight out of the cheeseburger pot, forget about it. I'll bite my tongue. I'll let others complain about it. There's plenty of other people who can point out that there were issues with the referee. But uh, what a shock. Uh, there were issues with officiating. Uh, rear their ugly head again. It's to the point where we're just kind of used to it. We just accept it, and you just wait to see what team it happens to.
2: Well, I, I think that the – the biggest issue, and this would be for as a coach and, and as from a player side, is be consistent. All right. And, and, and if you, you're inconsistent and like Andy said, you're tough to get rhythm going. But if you're inconsistent, that w- that's what gets you. If something wasn't called early on and it's called a little later or vice versa, that's the thing. Tell me the way you're going to ref this game or show me the way you're going to ref this game. And I may not like it, but I know I'm going to play within those boundaries then. If you're calling a tight game, then I got to make sure I don't have my hands on as much. You're calling a lot of holding penalties as an offensive lineman. I know I got to get my hands off a little more. If that's the way they're going to call it, you have to adjust. But it's the inconsistency that gets you. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you were kind of calling it this way and now you're not. So you're not sure which route to go. And listen, Andy will complain to the right people. He'll call the league and he'll talk to them about it. There is no need to talk about it publicly and lose money. There's there's no need because talking about it publicly isn't going to change anything. But, you know, talking to the league, you know, that, that's where – and still it's not going to change anything. It's not going to take any of the penalties away. But at least he can vent. And if he has some – obviously he has some real issues, show them. And they every week, every week, every team has some kind of tape to send to the league, whether it's you know some kind of play on the field, whether it's some kind of officiating call, every week there's there's tape sent to the league to look at to say, hey, we had a problem with this. So Andy, Andy, and the, the Chiefs will be able to have their say to the league about what they thought was some not very good officiating.
1: And let's face it, one of the time honored reasons for blowing a gasket early in a game when a bad call goes against you is that you hope that you influence them to right. give you a little payback to go your way later. So when you broaden that lens and look at it week by week and consider the playoffs are coming, to the extent that he can tactfully make a stink, press the right buttons, get the the, the officials thinking that they got screwed in that game, then maybe some discretionary call goes their way in a playoff game, so it's worth... Whatever time they're going to spend trying to work the officiating department, not necessarily the crew at any given game, in the hopes that they get some favorable call later. And, you know, in a close game like that, a call here, a call there can make a difference. And the Bengals won by scoring 34. The Titans won by scoring 34. They didn't need 30 of those points because... The Dolphins only managed to put three on the board. Shutout. There were a couple shutouts narrowly avoided yesterday. But the Titans get the win. And coupled with the Kansas City loss, Mike, here they are sitting at the number one seat. All they have to do, beat the Texans. I make that sound easy. The Texans are pretty good right now. And the Texans did beat the Titans in Nashville early in the year. So it's, it's not a gimme. But it's amazing to think the Titans are in this spot, given that they have been doing it without Derrick Henry for weeks now. They're hoping to get him back for the playoff. If they would go into the postseason as the one seed, get the week off, and have Derrick Henry back for the divisional round, holy crap, they have to be taken seriously as a Super Bowl contender.
2: Oh, what they're doing, Mike, is incredible to me. Not only have they lost Derrick Henry, but how many times has A.J. Brown and Julio Jones been in and out of the lineup, right? They're, they're, you, you, Julio Jones comes to this team. You thought, boy, what a great one-two punch they're going to have. And then they've been nicked up off and on. The defense started out not playing very well and then has started to play better. So it's kind of like a microcosm of the season. We've seen, we have seen teams morph during the year. We think we know who they are, and, they, and then they revert back, and then they play well again. Uh, the, the rushing at what's still 40 carries, Dante Foreman in this one, over 100 yards. Without Derrick Henry, the running game is going. The Miami Dolphins came into this game with 45 sacks leading the league. They got one against Tannehill. So you know what I'm doing is gold star to that offensive line, right? They still are rushing the ball well, rushed five, five, uh, basically, uh, what, five yards a carry, uh, I believe, in this game. And uh, Tannehill only gets sacked once against the best sacking team in the league. So the old line deserves a ton of credit. I'm, I'm so impressed because we know this isn't a team that's going to pass its way to a championship. It's going to, even without Derek Henry, whether they get him back or not, they're going to still have to rely on the running game and the defense and have Tannehill not make mistakes, right? Not turn the ball over. That's how they're going to do it. But I'll ask you, who's a better candidate right now than Mike Vrabel for coach of the year. If they pull off the one seed, without the best running back in the league, and your two receivers in and out of the lineup, I mean, it has been an incredible run what they're doing.
1: It's hard not to give it to Matt LaFleur, his former offensive coordinator, because LaFleur's got 39 wins in three seasons, manned up with 40 wins in three seasons, and he hasn't gotten the respect in past years that maybe he's deserved. And when you consider that he's been the liaison, the buffer between dysfunction here, dysfunction there, dysfunction everywhere in Green Bay, and they just keep winning games, strikes the right relationship with the quarterback, acts as the go-between when the quarterback's upset with the front office. There's a lot of amazing things Matt LaFleur has done that he doesn't get credit for, but I agree with you. Rabel should be number two on the list, and if the Titans do get the one seed, who knows? Maybe we'll have. We've seen co-MVPs. We could see co-coach of the year. 50 total votes. You could have a 25-25 split between those two. It, and maybe maybe that's the, the fair outcome because what Vrabel has done really is incredible. And what they did to the Dolphins yesterday, just when we thought yeah. the Dolphins were good. And and I didn't want, because they, you know, there's that very passionate, unreasonably loyal to Tua Tonga-Vailoa group that we, I call and On. Many call them and On now. The idea that you know if you say anything bad about them they're going to come after you but come on they they hey I tried to find the silver lining in this seven game winning streak what they did to the Ravens on that Thursday night I love what they do putting the seven eight guys at the line of scrimmage you don't know who's going to blitz you don't know who's going to drop into coverage it creates mass confusion I thought they would have better luck with that yesterday um, but uh, you know the offense really is the problem and I hate to keep coming back to Tua but it seems like you know Mike we got nine games on at once and every time yeah. I looked up Tua was like missing a guy on a five-yard pass. And then there was the moment where he, he rears back and the ball goes one way and the arm goes the other. And, you know, to the extent that he was quieting the talk about Deshaun Watson in one afternoon in three hours, I think that was enough for Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, who was the one that was pushing for Deshaun Watson, to resolve after the season the push for Deshaun Watson is going to resume.
2: Well, listen, I I I agree. So so they lose seven in a row, they win seven in a row. Tua playing more efficiently than anything else. He's completing just under 68% of his passes for the year. But the thing about it is the ball's not going down the field a lot. Jalen Wally, leading receiver is averaging 10 yards a catch. You know, you're seeing, you know, go look at some of the other top receivers. It's 13, 14, 15, 16 yards a catch. The ball's going downfield more. So this game plan doesn't seem to have. The confidence for Tua to whip it down the field a little more, uh, because you—I'm just looking at their receivers now. Their top two, uh, the top two receivers are averaging 10 yards a catch now. One's a tight end, uh, but still, I mean, it just—it's not going down the field enough. It's not—it's not anywhere near a prolific passing game. And what kind of a running game do you have going forward? So you ask yourself the question. You come in with a top defense, you know, and that's Brian Flory's specialty. You know, on the defensive side of the ball. Do you have an offense that you feel can be good enough? And is it led by someone good enough to carry you if you need to be carried? And that's going to be the decision. And and, and listen, I get it with Tua; He's a nice guy and people like him and all that. But listen, it's not about being a nice guy or not. It's about what kind of football player you are. Can we lump the the team on your back? Not all the time, but when we need to, because I just said the same thing about Tannehill. You know, I don't think you could, the Tennessee could be a team that you go past crazy on and be that successful. They need to be complimentary, so that's fine. But can you at times count on Tannehill? We found out that we can. Can you with Tua? I don't know. You know, when you need to really get it down the field, I don't know. And that's what the Miami Dolphins have to ask themselves and then answer. Does does the Deshaun Watson, you know, situation rear its ugly head? It's going to somewhere. You know, as someone, we we all believe, you tell me if I'm wrong, somebody is going to trade for him and have him on their team next year, I have to believe. So does that talk start up again? And if it's not Deshaun Watson, is it, well, okay, two is our guy, but we're going to have an eye out. You know, this this is who we love right now, but, you know, we have wandering eyes that maybe we might be looking for somebody else.
1: Well, and when you consider how good they've been with a quarterback who does limit the offense from time to time, if not more often than that, There are plenty of other guys that may be available and may be interested. You know, the Russell Wilson conversation. Where is the grass greener for him? Well, it's greener in Miami. And even Aaron Rodgers, if he decides to leave. Denver has looked like the ultimate destination, but... You're looking for a place where you think you're going to have a better chance to be ultimately successful than where you currently are. And the Dolphins have a lot of pieces in place. And that defense makes them a very attractive destination for quarterbacks out there who have options, who are looking for other places. And the Dolphins, I think, will have options when the time comes to look for an upgrade. And, and, and this isn't. An anti-Tua take. He didn't make himself the fifth overall pick in the draft. He right. didn't select himself over Justin Herbert. He got put in a tough spot. Why? Because the owner of the team and uh, Mike. I know we got to move on to the next game, but th- this is this is a good opportunity to hammer home a point that I think fans don't really grasp because the owners do their best to hide behind the curtain and let others in the organization be the ones who take the blame when things go poorly. Owners make it known what they want to do. And one of the privileges of being a billionaire is you rarely have to give a direct order. There are ways to make it known to the people who work for you, who are smart enough to do what needs to be done to continue to work for you, what you want. And Ross wanted Tua, period. So Ross got Tua. He wanted Joe Burrow. He wanted to move heaven and earth to get Joe Burrow. And he was right about that. The Bengals wisely said, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. We're not trading out of the top spot. So then he wanted Tua. Justin Herbert was never a conversation. Get Tua, get Tua, get Tua. And now it's get Watson, get Watson, get Watson. But these owners have a huge influence. And they're the one constant because they can't be fired in the dysfunction that can happen for teams. And, uh, you know, Tua is there because of Ross. And Tua may get supplanted because of Ross. And, and uh, supplanting him may be the right move because maybe he should never, never, never should have been the uh, fifth overall pick in the first place. You
2: know, at, at the end of the day, it's right. It's their money. They can take their ball and go home or they can take the ball and say, I'm making the decisions. And the, the really, really good organizations have conversations, right? And maybe sometimes they need to be family because listen, is there a, is there an owner that wants to make a decision more than Jerry Jones? Just go back a few years. He wanted Johnny Manziel. <laughs> he was talking a lot with his son saying, no, Zach Martin's a guy, and that's going to pay off. The way Zach's going, he's going to walk into the Hall of Fame, and we see that Johnny Manziel didn't have a career. So, obviously, owners have made good calls and have made bad calls and potentially bad calls. Who else could be there to maybe talk some sense in or – you know, who, you know, Did or do you just throw your hands up and say, well, that's what the owner wants and that's what the owner's going to get. And then we're going to have to live with it.
1: The thing I respect most about Jerry Jones, and it's taken me about 30 years to fully appreciate <laughs> this. He at least puts his name on it, Mike. He's not hiding. He's not whispering. He's not letting others be the ones like in New York, where the Maras force others to be the fodder for the back page criticism, even though. They're the ones stirring the stew. Jerry Jones stands there and he waves the spoon around. Look at me. I'm the one making these decisions, and I got to respect that because there are are people out there a lot closer to Jerry Jones than you realize. One one guy that gladly and notoriously stirred the stew was Al Davis. His franchise on the brink now of getting back to the playoffs – they have a win and in scenario that will broadcast on NBC and Peacock on Sunday night. Chargers, Raiders, winners in, loser goes home. All because the Raiders were able to do something I didn't think they could do, Mike. I didn't think they could go on the road to Indianapolis and beat a very good Colts team. But the Raiders found a way to get it done. Delaying Indianapolis and their clinch, which they if hey, if they can't beat the Jaguars next week, oh, they don't deserve yeah. to be in the playoffs. But now the Raiders have set it up for themselves. Who would have ever thought all that dysfunction after everything that happened with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and the way it just felt like they were disintegrating. They turned it around with that Thanksgiving win over Dallas. They've still been a little inconsistent since then, but they've they've gotten hot at the right time. It's no longer about getting hot at Thanksgiving. It's about getting hot at Christmas because there's still a window. If you've been in a position where you're middle of the pack-ish, you can get hot the last few weeks of the season steal a playoff berth and off you go and the Raiders very well may do that.
2: Yeah, after those two situations, you know, it looked like the Raiders were going to fall off the map. We we all kind of kind of pushed them to so- aside and said, well, okay, that's going to be it for them. They find a way. That was their fifth walk-off win of the year. Their fifth. I mean, that that that's amazing. And then the book on Derek Carrs, we we know he can throw for a lot of yards, he can be a, a big-time stats guy is if this was his 29th fourth quarter comeback or overtime comeback. His win in his eight years. And but there are those that say, well, are they coming back because of his mistakes? He had two bad interceptions in this game. So are you in a position to have to come back because of the mistakes that you made? And also they look good at are up 13 to three and then you lose the lead. I mean, they are, they are, you know, I go back to when my brother was on the Cleveland Browns, the cardiac kids, you know, this is the cardiac uh, Raiders. I mean, it's just Man, you're winning, then you lose your lead. You're winning on walk-offs. You know, you're having to come back, and your quarterback is able to do that. It, they're, they're a head-scratching team. The bottom line is they put themselves in a position to get into the playoffs.
1: What a way to end the regular season, though, in Las Vegas. Five years ago, that that would have been met with, what are you talking about, that the 2021 NFL regular season is going to end in Las Vegas? But they fully and completely embraced it. It's a, it's going to be a great, great game, a great way, and fitting. We're going to talk a little bit more about John Madden later in the program, but a rematch of the Holy Roller game to cap the 2021 season. Uh, you could you couldn't have written a better ending, Mike. No, no.
2: Listen, it, it it is amazing for those that have watched this game for a long time, for decades, like you and I. Maybe the younger generation not so much, but but we and those of our age range understand this and and can see. You know, kind of, kind of get a little smile, a little smirk on our face, and say, "Yeah, okay, uh, pretty, pretty cool how this thing can end."
1: Yeah, and and again, the Colts should be able to still make it, and they're a yeah. team. You know, I've been rooting for teams to get in that that belong, that will be competitive. And a couple of weeks ago, Sims and I came to the conclusion we don't want the Raiders in the playoffs because we don't think they can be competitive when they get there. I rescind my version of that maybe sims still thinks they won't be but i think going to indianapolis and winning yesterday shows they can be competitive and if they win essentially a playoff game at home against a bitter division rival and there have been some good chargers raiders games over the years uh in recent years uh close exciting nail biter type games we had the game on monday night football earlier this year it ended up being john group was it the one that was john gruden's last game as coach the the weeks have all melted together for me, but yeah. it was that that game where they fell into the, they had the lightning delay in a stadium that has a roof on it. They fell into a deep hole. They tried to come back. It was an exciting game. It it should be an exciting finish to the season for the Raiders and the Chargers. One gets in, one goes home, and I won't be surprised, Mike, if the Raiders punch their ticket. They've got the momentum with three straight wins as they sit at nine and seven, and uh, they, they, you know it's hard not to root. After the passing of John Madden after everything the Raiders have been through, plenty of people have strong opinions on even though John Gruden got what he deserved the way that it happened there's pending litigation fitting for the Raiders and the legacy of Al Davis that there's pending litigation over the way that the John Gruden's termination was handled it 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 would it would be it would be kind of fun to see him in the playoffs
2: oh listen i I, I agree I mean again I say for the older generation, um, they're going to enjoy this game. And, and I'm sure leading up to it, there's going to be a whole lot of video played of past games and these matchups and how they've gone, which will be very, very cool to see. Unfortunately, uh, because of the death of a couple of people, we've seen a lot of video over the last decades of, you know, the Ken Re- uh, uh, Dan Reeves and uh, John Madden. It's been, you know, it's been, it's been tough. It's been great to relive those memories, but these would be memories to watch, you know, with these two teams playing. There were some great matchups back in the day.
1: We have ignored the NFC thus far in the program, but take heart, fans of teams in the NFC. We're going to focus on what happened yesterday in the other conference when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Um, I, I don't know. Um, uh, coming home, I feel, I mean, personally, I just feel like, you know, it's, 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 uh, I can't lose coming home. That's just, that's the mentality. That's just how I feel.
3: Uh, again, though, I mean, it's not just about the mentality. It's about coming out and executing and doing it. And
2: the guys, you
0: know,
2: I, I, I mean, the guys feel great, too, when they come back here. I don't know what it is. Uh, the great stadium, the fans, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, when you come back to Cowboy Stadium, it's a big-time game. You know, that's, that's, that's the, the feel around me, so, Guys, I'm glad they have my back today.
1: Cardinals fans have to always get a little nervous whenever they see Kyler Murray wearing an A's hat. Just a reminder, (laughs) just a reminder that this guy was a top 10 draft pick by the Oakland A's. And that option is always kind of lingering. And he's mentioned from time to time he'd like to do both. Uh, and, And there are times when they struggle and he struggles that I can't help but wonder whether he thinks eh, maybe baseball would be a little better than all this adversity <laughs> I'm facing. I'm not used to facing adversity. One place he doesn't face adversity is AT&T Stadium. 9-0, and lifetime, dating back to high school, and they got it done again. 25-22, to the victory over the Cowboys, held them off late, get a much-needed win after losing three in a row. They have won eight of nine road games this year. The only road loss happening and of all places, Detroit. And, you know, the Cardinals were already in the playoffs. But, Mike, I think it was critical for them to reestablish themselves. They they couldn't afford to slide into the postseason on a five-game losing streak or losing four out of five, you know, if they somehow would beat the – and they should beat the Seahawks this week, but who who knows. They needed yesterday. They needed – for their own confidence going into the playoffs, because they don't have much experience. And and every big game they'd been in this year, they'd lost, whether it was the Thursday night game against the Packers, the Monday night game against the Rams, the Christmas night game against the Colts. They needed a game that had a big vibe to it. They needed to win that game to prove to themselves that they're not just going to fold when it's time to go to the postseason.
2: Oh, I, I a hundred percent agree. Listen, I called that game Christmas night in Arizona where the Colts started without both guards in their center, lost their left tackle for the game and Fisher and lost Doyle, the tight end for the game. It was literally the one defensive line against the second unit of the Colts and the Colts still beat them on the road at home for Arizona. We know they struggle at home. So they did, they were a head scratcher. And I had said during the game, and even before that, 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 well, it doesn't have to be a ton more, Kyler Murray has to get more involved in the running of this offense. He ended up running, what, nine times yesterday, averaging almost five yards to carry, a long run of 15 yards, but just a few more runs. You know how Josh Allen has gotten more, back more involved in the running game for Buffalo. I think Kyler Murray needed to do that as well. Maybe he hadn't. Maybe the ankle had still been bugging him a little bit and they didn't want him to do it. I don't know. But if they're going to do anything – Just like the Buffalo Bills, if they're going to do anything, they have to let their quarterbacks be the dual threats that they can be and just let them go, and you have to live with the outcome. you know. And and that's what Arizona's going to have to do. They are best. Kyler Murray's been having his best passing year, right? But the the great thing about him is the threat he can be getting out of the pocket, either passing or running, and just kind of letting loose and doing his thing. So that's what he needs to do. If it's running seven times, nine times, 12 times occasionally, you know, be that threat. And they were yesterday, and it's, it's just amazing. You think, boy, well now, boy, the Cowboys are playing great, and the Cardinals are struggling. But again, this has been the year. You kind of reverse that, right? All of a sudden, you reverse that, and the Cardinals jumping out to the big lead in this one. And the Cowboys not having a running game at all, something they've lived off forever, and the Cowboys having 10 penalties, four holding penalties, another team complaining about the penalties uh, that, that were called on them, double-digit penalties uh, yet again. I think they have had their fourth game with that. But I agree with you about Arizona. They needed to have a game like this. And, and, and to me, Kyler Murray needed to get back to being that double threat guy. He always is, but even being more of that for them.
1: And that's one thing we need to remember in future years, when a quarterback suffers an injury, misses a little time, and then comes back. Just because he's healthy enough to play doesn't mean he's the guy that he was before. We saw it with Dak Prescott, even though, you know, guys are wired to not make excuses. So even though Dak Prescott wasn't the same for several weeks after his calf injury and he missed one game, probably because of the calf injury. Then you've got Kyler Murray and the ankle. You've got Russell Wilson in the finger. How mangled that was. And he missed a few games. And when he came back, not making any excuses, but he's clearly not the same guy that he was. Although yesterday, in what may have been his final home game in Seattle, better than he'd been. So uh, let's just remember that. It's not like the guy is going to be exactly what he was before the injury it's going to take some time and it took some time for Kyler Murray you mentioned the officiating issue here's Demarcus Marcus Lawrence Cowboys defensive lineman being a little more candid than Andy Reid was regarding concerns about officiating in Dallas
3: I think the results said that you know we're still a good team
2: uh, even though we was facing two teams tonight um, you know the results ain't come out like we wanted it to
0: who are the two teams you were facing? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm going to let the NFL handle it. Uh, I know, you know, it's a possibility
3: we see both of these teams uh, in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, I'm just, you know,
2: hopefully the NFL can sit down uh, with their team, uh, review the film, uh, learn from their mistakes, and get better from it.
1: <laughs> yeah hey that's a way to do it and you know players have a little more leeway when it comes to criticizing yeah, yeah. the officials than coaches do so they can get away with more it, it only crosses the line for a player if they start suggesting that you got a tim Donahue type of a situation or somebody's on the take in some way but he makes a good point about maybe facing this team again and when you consider that Kyler murray's 9-0 and all-time at at and stadium and the way it's sitting right now we get that rematch in the wild card round, Cardinals Cowboys chance to go ten and zero at AT and Stadium. I don't know at what point Jerry Jones starts trying to concoct a trade with the Cardinals, Prescott for Murray. But if, if this continues, uh, if you can't beat him, join them, Mike.
2: Yeah, it's it would be incredible if they if they did have a matchup, boy. But and, and we'll see how long that streak could go. Uh, I, I was I was a little surprised at this. We've seen Arizona play well. But I, I was kind of surprised at this outcome, especially the lead that Arizona got. I think it might be a different uh, outcome uh, and, and, uh, if they meet in the playoffs. But, but again, more credit even to Arizona. Look who they did it without. They did it without 24 of their touchdowns, right? I mean, they did it out with, without 14 rushing touchdowns from Connor and two receiving touchdowns and eight receiving touchdowns from DeAndre Hopkins. And still able to do it, so you got to do nothing but stand up and and get and clap for them and give them a lot of credit for what they've done. Uh, and yeah, uh, what Kyler Murray can do at that stadium from high school on, pretty impressive. We'll see how long that streak can go, but it's going long enough right now. And I love what he just said there, as far as because it's just what you say, coaches say to players. We'll sit down and we'll learn. We'll watch the film. We'll learn from our mistakes. So to talk about the NFL being the coaches and sit down with their players, the refs and learn from their mistakes, was a great way to put it. Because you're not getting fined for that, right? It's not even coming close to crossing a line of getting fined. But what a great way to get your message across. That was phenomenal.
1: And it's a reminder that we shouldn't get numb to the fact that the officiating leaves something to be desired and just accept it. I think there's a, a thought that you just deal with like injuries. Oh, well, it just happens. Well, we shouldn't have to settle for it. And there has been a push this year. It's died down a little bit but the idea of full-time officiating where you have access to these guys round the clock all week long too. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You're not dealing with your other job in your hometown before you pack up and go to your next NFL assignment. You're studying film. You're on Zoom calls. There's a, a an obsession with consistency among the 17 crews. You know, you talk about consistency in games. There's wild inconsistencies among crews. That shouldn't be there all sorts of ways to be creative about being proactive and improving officiating. There's a lot they can do. You don't want big games to be decided by anything other than the performance of the players and the decisions of the coaches. And hopefully it won't be a factor in the postseason. The Rams, after their three game losing streak, after they went all in to get Vaughn Miller and then Odo Beckham Jr. have now won five in a row and they've won two in a row, Mike, where you look at it. And you look at how the game goes early on, and you think they got no business to win. And that's, to me, a hallmark of a great team. When you can win when it's not your day. It just feels like it's not your day. And we, we sense that vibe from certain players. Like, ah, that's not, man, I just want to go home and get under the covers. Let's just get out of here. When you can find a way to pull it together and come from behind on a day where it feels like everything is lined up against you, you're a pretty damn good team because maybe you're going to be able to access that in a playoff game and advance when you should have ended up going home?
2: Well, I mean, listen, you have the players to do it, too. They're a head-scratching team from the talent that they have and how they play some of these games. Sometimes it's a defense that's not playing well. But, you know, look at what the defense did yesterday. What was was the only touchdown scored for Baltimore? That was on a pick-six, right, and a bunch of field goals. So the defense – and we've seen the defense not play as well for the Rams, and you scratch your head because they got Von Miller, you have Aaron Donald, you have you know Jalen Rams, you have some, some excellent players on that defense, and you just wonder why they're not more dominant. And then the offense, you see the power that they have, and you wonder why all of a sudden they're down in a game, what, 16-7 to seven going into the fourth quarter, only had seven on the board. They're a head-scratching team, but when they can put it together on both sides, they can be as dangerous as anybody out there but and, and they're going to get their chance, you know, hopefully to show that. But you just wonder at times, and listen, there has been, I, I can't think of a team, maybe you help me out here, in the, in, the, in the last number of years that have pushed so many chips to the middle of the table. I mean, they don't have, what, a first rounder to like 2050. It, it's, it's unreal how they just said, we're going for it. this move, we're going for it. Not even thinking about it saying this is a year we're pushing everything to the table. We'll go year to year on this thing. Not always a great way to do your business. That's for sure. You know, not not in this league. But if you pay it off with a Super Bowl championship, then obviously everything was worth it. If you don't, Then all of a sudden, you know, next year and the year after, you're okay. Now you're scrambling. What are we doing in the cap? What are we doing with this guy? You know, these guys are leaving. We're going to bring in other one year hopeful wonders. So you don't know, but they have definitely, and we know this, have made the statement that says we are all in it for this year.
1: Usually when teams do that, it it doesn't work. I can think of three examples over the past 30 years during the salary cap era the 2011 Eagles who Vince Young dubbed the dream team dream on the, team, the way in, yeah. which, was, which, which was a mistake. The 2000 <laughs> Washington football team, which was adding guys left and right and had the two top picks to get Chris Samuels and LeVar Arrington, I think with number two and three overall. And it was basically just give them the Super Bowl trophy and they didn't even make the playoffs. But I think back to 1994 – the year that the 49ers won their most recent Super Bowl, there was that vibe where they were going out and collecting everyone. They get Deion Sanders, and you know they it it just they 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 load the cannon and they get it done. Um, uh, so I can think of three times, and I mean I'm probably if, and if I'm missing anything, I'm sure folks out there you'll 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 let me know. But usually it doesn't work, and and it felt like it was going to fail miserably for the Rams. But here they are. I, t- I talked to Vaughn Miller after the win yesterday, and, you know, one thing he's definitely seeing is far fewer double teams with Aaron Donald sure. around. He had the game-sealing sack yesterday on a single team where he just got around the tackle and got to Tyler Huntley and, and brought an end to the game as a practical matter for the Baltimore Ravens. So if you've got Vaughn Miller making plays and you've got Odell Beckham Jr. catching game-winning touchdown passes, these efforts that you made to go all in, to make your team better and to and to reach for that brass ring and to get there not just get back and lose 13 to 3 like they did 3 years ago but get back there and win it all. It feels like the Rams are going to have a chance to do that, Mike.
2: I agree. And and Leonard Floyd, I mean, they have three pass rushers, three. I mean, for you start to look at the, the depth that they have. It, it, I think people kind of going the way of what San Francisco did. A couple of years ago, you know, where they had all this depth and, and excellent players on the line, gave up one of those DeForest Buckner, was doing a great job with the Colts. The Washington Redskins, or the Washington football team, has been going down that same road, right, trying to get that depth, number one picks on the D-line and depth, kind of a way to go. The Rams did it a different way, not everything by the, by the draft, but still the product is there. So they should have the ability to make every quarterback feel uneasy, Back there, at least get them on the move if you're not going to sack them. And and they were able to do that yesterday. What, they have five sacks in this game? And again, the Baltimore Raven offense was not able to get a touchdown in this game. Remember, this was a team that was, what, eight and three, uh, 11 games in and atop the division? You know, and and now look at I them. And I know Lamar Jackson has missed time. But we talked about Huntley coming in and looking, looking really good. And maybe, oh, look what he's doing. He's opening eyes maybe for other teams. But it just hasn't been working for the Ravens as of late.
1: Just so many injuries. I think it reached a critical mass with the Lamar Jackson ankle injury, even though there isn't a huge drop-off from Jackson to Huntley. I asked Von Miller about that, too. And he said that, you know, they're similar, but there's still a difference between Jackson and Huntley when you're trying to track a guy down, chase him down. Jackson is a more elusive athlete, but uh, I just think it got to the point where the Ravens just, you know, look at all the close games they lost, a point yeah. here, two points there, a point there, fateful decisions to go for it, 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 it two-point conversions, and it just didn't work for them, and, and it's just a razor-thin margin in the NFL, and that razor-thin margin is relevant to the Rams because, look, they win by a point a game they should have lost. They won by seven last week, a game they they arguably should have lost to Minnesota. And Matthew Stafford has been a big reason why they should have lost the last two games. Let's hear from Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, on Stafford's performance from yesterday, which started with two interceptions, ended with 14 for 14 in the second half. Let's see what McVay had to say.
3: I thought he was at his best when his best was required. You know, we talk about competitive greatness all the time. Now, there's a couple things where you talk about, all right, are we giving clarity to what we're really looking for in some of those instances? But, um, you know, he just, he's a mentally tough guy. And that's what you want from your quarterback. Those will be things that we'll learn from. Best thing is, is if you guys haven't talked to him yet, when you do talk to him, he'll be the first one to take extreme ownership. That's why I love this guy so much. But uh, I feel like I can certainly help in some of the spots that I put him in. But, When we had to have it, defense makes a stop. He made big throw after big throw in a clutch situation, and that's what the great players do.
1: And, and, you know, I got to give him credit for turning it around, but it's always better than having to dig yourself out of a hole is don't dig yourself into a hole in the first place, and he did that in the first half. And, yeah, yeah, the, the, the interception that was returned for a touchdown I mean, my first thought when I saw it, and we're going to show it, I assume, here in a second, Mike. I want your thoughts on it. This one just looks like... Now, Now you could say it's Stafford staring down a receiver, but when you see how Chuck Clark peels off of his guy, how quickly he breaks off of his guy, that tells me it's a film study, pick six, and that they've got some sort of funky tendencies that showed up and that maybe the Rams aren't doing a good enough job of self-scouting and making adjustments. Because Clark, Clark came off of that... Off of his guy, way too fast for it to be a product of reading Matthew Stafford's eyes. It, it looked to me like this is a guy who has studied film along with his defensive teammates and coach. I mean, he breaks right away for the ball. I don't know, Mike. What do you think?
2: Well, well, you know, look, look at the route. Look at the distance. They needed, what, three yards for a first down. So, basically, the Rams had three receivers all somewhat near one another, doing basically stop routes right past the sticks to get a first down. So if you have three receivers, basically, if, you, if, if we see that one again, and if you freeze it on those receivers, there's three receivers all stopping at the sticks. They're basically six yards apart, seven yards apart from one another. So that means the defenders are gonna be that close as well there's gonna be at least three defenders that are right in that area. So when two are that close, when you're going to, all they wanted to do was move the chains, right? They were obviously just trying to get the first down. Three receivers, they needed, what, two yards, running three to four yard routes. So when two receivers are that close to one another, Mike, one defender can play both. And if eyes give it away as well, now if eyes are giving it away, I'm close enough to this receiver next to me because they're all running stop routes right there that I can make a break on the ball. So it's a combination of things. The routes make the the receivers bunch together, which brings the defenders together. If eyes are just on one receiver, then Clark can make that move. You can play two receivers because everybody is so close to one another. So those are situational things it turned out for this game, for the routes that were run for the down and distance.
1: And let's just say this, because we need to be fair to praise and also criticism of the things that we see McVeigh's supposedly a genius and you wouldn't expect a genius to put his team in a situation like that, where it's that predictable, where it's that obvious that Chuck Clark knows he can abandon OBJ, break on the ball and return it for a touchdown. I'm not saying that McVay isn't a genius. Even a genius is prone to lapses from time to time. The point is we don't expect this from the Rams. But it can happen to anyone at any time, and I think it just underscores the importance of always thinking about the plays you're calling, the situations, and are you putting your offense in a position where it's going to be difficult to execute because you have too many guys clustered on one side when it's, it's clear they're going to be trying to run to the sticks to get that first down, and it's all potentially going to explode, and that was the thing that, that gave the Ravens an early opportunity that they shouldn't have had, Mike. Yeah.
2: You know, the, the good thing for them is they have the ability to make it up on the other side. You know, obviously not as much as the greatest show on turf way back in the day, but to go with those 15 interceptions, Stafford does have over 4,600 yards passing and 38 touchdowns. So they could put the ball in the end zone, a lot having to do with Cooper Cup. But the OBJ coming there has really helped. What a, phen- a great short touchdown catch he made. Great feet, great job to get the ball, you know, over the pylon. He has been an excellent pickup, maybe a lot Maybe more people are saying maybe you know he was right about what was going on in Cleveland not getting the opportunities because you know he has certainly been money for them making some big plays and that's a a nice weapon to add with Cooper Cup so that so while they can make mistakes and listen one mistake especially in the playoffs when it's win or go home could be so costly at least what they have is the ability to make up for in some cases.
1: And Mike, what Beckham is doing for himself, even though when he came to the Rams, there was talk that he wants to stay there long-term, he's setting himself up to be a desirable and pursued and possibly financially well-to-do receiver on the open market. The Rams aren't going to be able to afford to pay him. Uh, Somebody else may have seen enough already, and he keeps playing into January. That's one of the good things about being an impending free agent, playing into January when 20 teams are at home actually it's 18 now and then it'll be 22 and then it'll be 26 and they all are watching you and your games and they're making their list of who they want to go get Beckham's putting himself in a good spot to go get a nice payday on the open market if uh, if the Rams can't put together the kind of of salary that he's going to command let's go ahead and take a break speaking of receivers who may or may not command significant salaries Antonio Brown another incident Another stint eventually on the open market. will will make sense, or at least try to, of everything that happened yesterday for the Buccaneers, Antonio Brown, and MetLife Stadium. We'll do that next year on PFT Live.